Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on www.vhha.com and on popular podcast hosting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and many others. Episodes of the podcast also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 AM across Central Virginia. Send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. Again, that's pcfpodcast at vhha.com. And today we are thrilled to be joined by Dr. Mike Dacey, who is Riverside Health System President and Chief Clinical Operations Officer for a conversation about the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and conditions here in Virginia. Welcome to the program, Dr. Dacey. Thanks very much for having me. Well, thank you for being with us. So let's begin with an overview of the current state of affairs in Virginia. We're recording this episode in early December, and Virginia currently has more than 2,000 hospitalized patients who are receiving COVID-19 care across the Commonwealth. Those are the highest hospitalization numbers we've seen since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Other states are likewise experiencing a rise in cases and hospitalizations. As a clinical leader, what are you seeing at Riverside specifically, and what other macro trends concern you from a statewide perspective, Dr. Dacey? So we're seeing a big increase in cases, particularly over the course of the last uh, several weeks. You know, there was this large surge during the summertime, and then that that abated. Uh, There's always a baseline, but now uh, in the last several weeks, it started to go up. uh, The case count has started to go up quite dramatically, and that's true for both hospitalized patients and for patients that are testing positive in the outpatient setting. These patients are very sick. Uh, We're seeing, you know, I I was working in the ICU here uh, last week, and, you know, half the ICU at the medical center in Newport News was occupied by COVID patients, and they're very sick patients. Uh, so that's that's the downside. The positive news is that if you are hospitalized for COVID compared to the way it was over the summer, your chances of doing well have gone up dramatically. New treatments, new ways in which we treat these patients have lowered the chances of dying from the disease by about 75%. So that's very good. But we are very concerned about the rising case rates, and many hospitals in the state are, are getting close to their capacity. And that's a great point that you made just about the experience that has come with this pandemic and the arrival of new therapeutics, which have enhanced hospitals' capability to deliver care as they learn more about this disease and and the treatment and and how patients respond to it. So I appreciate that perspective. So you talked about Riverside, and, and while there are regional pockets of elevated cases and hospitalizations, including right now in Southwest Virginia, the current rise in cases, as you mentioned, seems somewhat more evenly distributed than previous times during the pandemic when, for instance, Peninsula communities such as York and James City counties saw nursing home outbreaks or when regions including Southampton Roads and Northern Virginia experienced spikes earlier this year. What are your observations, Dr. Dacey, about the current distribution of cases across Virginia and what it is attributable to? Is it the season and elevated viral transmission? Is it regression in people following safety guidelines like social distancing and mask wearing, especially around the holidays or other factors? What what do you think about that? Certainly, it's much more evenly distributed. There's no question about that. And that's true uh, across the country, but also across the state. I think two reasons help explain it. One is is seasonality. The weather gets cold. People spend more time inside. The virus is easy to transmit inside than outside. And I think there's always been a seasonality to these respiratory viruses, whether it be influenza 
or other types of uh, cold or coronaviruses, there's always been a seasonality to it. Uh, so that's one reason. The other reason is I think people are just getting tired. I mean, when you when you look at you know now we're going on almost nine months of this, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of hope with the vaccines that will be released soon. We hope, but people are getting tired, uh, and you kind of becomes much easier to let your guard down, particularly with mask wearing and keeping a distance from people and not crowding into spaces. So I think those two things explain why the surge has increased. We don't know yet the effect of the Thanksgiving Day holiday on hospital admissions. We're beginning to see an increase even more than we've seen a few weeks ago. So it may well have been that the travel around Thanksgiving also played a role, but the, the coming weeks will tell that story. We talked about capacity a moment ago. Right now, there's still bed space in Virginia hospitals, but staffing has been a concern for some systems due to exposure and then the required isolation. I think people recognize this has been a difficult time, but I wonder if you can help put into perspective the strain and toll this response effort can have on frontline caregivers who are really in many respects bearing the brunt of this. Yeah, I think that um, right. We we employ about ten thousand people across the health system, and right now, as of this morning, about one hundred and ninety are out on either quarantine um, because they tested positive. And most of those cases were acquired in the community or because they, they were exposed to people and, and had a high risk exposure. So that creates a huge drain on, on staffing. Um, you know, hospitals were pretty narrow margin businesses. On a good year, you make one or two percent more than you take in. Mm-hmm. And so uh, staffing is always a big part of how we operate. And the truth is, uh, right now, uh, as we look at shortages, both nurses, respiratory therapists, enormous shortages across the country in terms of those fields and physicians as well, particularly intensive care physicians. So we look at that and we become very worried about things to come in the coming months, given the, the rise in viral uh, cases. So even if you have beds, you have to staff the beds. Uh, and right now we're able to keep up with the demand, but you do worry if case counts in hospitalizations increase by 20 or 30%. Gosh, that's going to really push the limits of the hospital system across the state to be able to, um, to be able to handle it. Uh, in terms of the toll it takes on the healthcare workers, it's very, very emotionally taxing for them. Very emotionally taxing, physically taxing, having to wear the uh, PPE, you know, the, virtually their entire shift. And, and there's a real emotional toll here. I mean, uh, early on, uh, your chances of, of dying from this if you were in the hospital were about 20%. I mean, it's gotten much, much better now, dramatically better. But I mean, that takes a toll. 20%. There aren't many diseases you can be hospitalized for that have a 20% mortality. Uh, and so that takes its toll on the people taking care of you. Uh, it really does. And we've seen that. We, like all health systems, offer counseling services to people and our staff, but it's very emotionally draining for them for sure. And there's no gain around that. But I think we do see hope with the vaccines coming. And so that I think has helped raise people's spirits somewhat. Well, you reference vaccines, and that's a great segue to my, my next question, but I did want to just piggyback on what you said, just that at mortality rate, it, it really does put into stark relief uh, how serious this is and, 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 and why it's so critically important for people to take this seriously. And with that, let's switch back to vaccines. As we know, the emergency use authorization for the Pfizer vaccine is expected perhaps as soon as today. The Moderna vaccine will follow soon after that. Initial doses are going to people in priority populations, which include healthcare professionals, frontline clinicians, and people in long-term care settings. Health systems like Riverside have experience doing testing events in the community, doing annual flu vaccination for staff and patients. But how is this undertaking unique because of its size and scope? 
we've put in place now a, a system at Riverside, and I'm I'm certain just about all the hospitals and health systems across the state have done the same thing in terms of um, being able to vaccinate our staff, employees, once the vaccine becomes available, perhaps as early as next week. We did a survey across our health system about five weeks ago. The percentage of people that were willing to take the vaccine uh, was about 30%, 35%. Now it's almost 60%. We redid that uh, survey just this week. And so that's very encouraging. And I think it reflects the fact that the vaccine's quite effective, uh, 95% effective at preventing disease and almost 100% effective at preventing serious and critical illness. Uh, so we expect that more and more people will want to take the vaccine. So we're preparing to do it, but it's the size and scale that is there. That's one one question, vaccinating you know 10,000 people. The other is priority groups. And the government has given us various priority groups, even within healthcare workers. You want the frontline healthcare workers that are actually taking care of the patients in emergency departments and mm-hmm. ICUs, taking care of COVID patients to go first. So we expect at Riverside, to, based upon the numbers that we have seen, we expect that the initial allocation of vaccine won't meet the demands of people who want to get it. So that's also been a process, and we've been guided by the Hospital Association in the state that's helped us develop these priority groups in terms of who gets the vaccine first. But we hope that most people in healthcare could get the vaccine over the course of the next month. Thanks for enlightening us on that, Dr. Dacey. And this really can't be said enough, but as we mentioned before, every person in Virginia, in the U.S., has a responsibility to help limit the spread of this virus by practicing the personal safety activities that we talked about. Wear that mask, you know, social distance, and especially around the holiday times to be mindful of the size of gatherings that you attend and to make smart choices. So really appreciate your perspective on that. And now that we've talked about uh, some more serious stuff, I've got a couple offbeat questions for you to give our listeners a sense of who you are beyond the work that you do. The first is, what's one tried and true piece of advice that has served you well? and that you would dispense to others? You know, I think always be kind to people. You know, during the pandemic, there were many times when we, um, we people were scared and afraid. You weren't certain what was going to happen. But if you always be kind to people, that will help build your reputation. And your reputation, the pandemics come and go, crises come and go, but your reputation is the one thing, either it be as an individual or as a, as a hospital, your reputation is what really will persist couldn't agree more. The golden rule. I've often said my own little aphorism is uh, live by the, the three or the four R's and it's reputation, research, and resourcefulness. I believe those those three R's will get you through life, get you pretty far in life. That's right. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, next question for you, sir. And this is an entirely imaginary premise, but in the hypothetical scenario that you could anticipate your final day on earth, what would your last meal be? It would be a New England lobster, um, a big New England lobster uh, with a side of uh, calamari, uh, heavily fried. At that point, it wouldn't matter, right? So, uh, <laughs> and uh, he- heavy, a uh, big New England lobster and a uh, heavy side of uh, calamari. And Lots a, of clarified a butter. Good glass, glass of beer. Yes, very much. More butter. At that point, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> are you Are you from up that way? Yes, I am. Yes, okay. I am. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm also a, a northern come here, so I I, I recognized a, a northern accent. <laughs> right. <laughs> Next question for you, sir. What's the top item on your bucket list? You know, I've never been to Europe, and I'd like to go to Europe. Okay. I, I think eventually, when the when the pandemic fades, I, I'd like to travel, and maybe travels down right now, but maybe it'll bounce back a lot. I think as people want to get out, and I've never been to Europe. I've never been to Ireland, where our family comes from, and I'd like to go there. Okay. Well, it sounds like a good goal when uh, when everyone can get moving again around the globe. And then finally, 
If you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three entertainment <laughs> survival kit picks? Yeah, uh, so from a, from an album, I would pick uh, Jethro Tull, Aqualung, mm -hmm. which is really great. From a book, I would pick 1776 um, by Stephen Ambrose. I think that's an excellent book about the history, particularly relevant to this part of the country where I am now in terms mm -hmm. of uh, all the struggles people had to go. And I guess in terms of movies, it would be uh, the last um, Lord of the Rings movie, which I thought was really excellent. Is that of Mordor, which I will not utter here. Mordor? In the common tongue, it says one ring to rule them all. One ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness, find them. Okay. Well, listen, I appreciate you making a few moments out of your busy schedule for us today, and I appreciate you sharing your insights with us. And with that, that is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And thanks again to our guest, Riverside Health System President and Chief Clinical Operating Officer, Dr. Mike Dacey, for being with us today. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. You have a good day. Bye-bye. You too.